Today on Growing Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. You can choose to have faith. You can choose to trust. You can choose to believe God's given you that ability. Well, I don't know. What do I have to do? You just say, God, forgive my sins. Show me in a way I can't miss it that you're real. He'll always answer that prayer. Sacrifice for everyone, faith, hope, love, and harmony. I say, let this world know me by your love. Once we come to faith in Christ, God then wants us to pass the faith along. We're commissioned to go into all the world and speak of the forgiveness of sin that's available through Jesus Christ. But maybe, like a great number of Christians, you remain silent more often than not when the opportunity arises. Well, today on Grow in Grace, we'll be encouraged to let go of our fears and boldly proclaim the gospel. Pastor Ed Ray is finishing up John 20, a chapter that contains five encounters with belief. We live in a society where everyone's a cynic. I I think it... As, as part of who we are. We have exchanged clergy for priests who wear white lab coats. Now, I say that a little tongue-in-cheek because I am a scientist, still licensed biochemist, but we look to science to answer all our questions. That's really naive <laughs> because scientists are just like you and we're wandering around trying to figure out how this thing works, this body, this life, this earth, chemistry, physics, all that sort of stuff. There's an outbreak of polio in uh, Bahrain, and it's also in South America. Why? Because people after COVID don't trust vaccines anymore. And so they're not allowing their children to get the salt vaccine. Most of you know that name. His name was Jonas Salk. He's a biochemist, brilliant man who came up with the first working polio vaccine. And it saved countless lives. I mean, tens of thousands. We know polio leaves a lot of kids crippled, but it's worse than that. It locks up your lungs. You can't take a breath. Your diaphragm is locked and and you suffocate. So Salk did something that nobody else could do. They were trying to build a vaccine to keep these kids from dying in the 50s. 1952, he comes out with a vaccine that's built on dead viruses. You see, poliomyelitis is caused by a virus. And so all the ones they tried to, usually they attenuate. You don't need this biology quick. So I'll give you the short version. (laughs) Normally vaccines, they just hurt the virus. Okay, it's called attenuation. It's crippled. You know, it's unable, it's handicapped. It can reproduce, it can cause, it can trigger in you, your immune system to build antibodies to it. But it didn't work with the polio vaccine. And so he was the first one to say, I'm gonna use dead ones. We're gonna kill all the viruses, take a chunk of virus and stick it in a person and see what happens. He did himself first and it worked. He built an immunity. And all the other, I mean, literally all the other scientists said he was a quack. That's not the way you build a virus to stop a pandemic, and you need to use a live virus. He said, no, I'm using a dead one, and it works. 
And so all during his life, I'm not talking about the first two or three years, 1952, the first time he gave uh, to himself this, uh, you know, little sugar cube, cube, you remember? And some of you are old enough to remember. Most of you are going, what's he talking about sugar cubes? That's how they gave the vaccine. So it was a lot better than a shot. And it was bribery for the kids, actually, but it worked. <laughs> and so people are saying, you know, he's a complete quack. And, you know, you think it's been weird with COVID. It was completely 100% worse with the polio vaccine. So anyway... It's successful, and more and more kids are getting it, and all of a sudden, the death rate goes to the bottom, and they have to admit they believed him. He wrote about it right before he died, and he wrote this. It's called the nature of unbelief and skepticism, but it works for what we're talking about. He said, first, people will tell you that you're wrong, just plain wrong. It won't work. Then... They will tell you, well, you are right, but what you're doing really is important. And then after it's worked for a while, thirdly, they'll admit that you are right and that what you're doing is very important, but after all, they knew it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the way I was with Christianity. You know, oh, that's not important. That'll never work to, well, maybe it could work to, oh my goodness, there is a God. And he talks to me. What am I going to do about that? I've got to do something. So, unbelievers have stories, things that lock them up against Christianity, real issues. You know, they're not slight things. I'm saying I understand. You don't want anything to do with those crazy people who are religious. And why are you here? Because God is calling you. He's pulling you. You're in the right place. We're glad you're here. That you don't come all the way yet, that's fine. But you need to. Because God says you have to have belief. You have to have trust. Same word. You must believe. You must trust. You must have faith. This is the way he says it in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Let me say the same thing a slightly different way. Without belief, it is impossible. Third way, without trust. Are you getting the picture? You got to trust. You got to believe. You got to have faith. Well, I, I can't. Yeah, I said that. I know. As a scientist, I didn't believe. I said my wife was, you know, she got saved after we'd been married for a couple of years and she, where are you going? I'm going to church. What are you doing going to church? I was an evangelist for hell. She said, you know, you're going to have to believe. No. She says, let me smell it. Let me taste it. Let me see it. Let me hear it. Let me weigh it. Then I might believe. Have God show up. I was an arrogant witness for hell. And she said, you're going to have to choose to believe. <laughs> I said, you can't just choose. You have to see stuff. You have to be convinced. She said, No. You can choose. And that's the whole lesson. You can choose to have faith. You can choose to trust. You can choose to believe God's given you that ability. Well, I don't know. What do I have to do? You just say, God, forgive my sins. Show me in a way I can't miss it that you're real. He'll always answer that prayer. 100% of the time. Well, then I'm not praying it. Okay. I didn't for a long time. So... 
It's only through trusting him that we enter into this wonderful promise he's talking about here. So he shows them his hand and his side and 10 believe. Then Jesus said to them again, peace to you. They evidently still were not doing well with that. Ta-da, here I am. And as the father has sent me, so send I you. Put your thinking cap on a minute. That's the important line here because it's going to get confusing in a couple of verses if you don't get that. That the Father has sent me and so he's sending you. You are a missionary. You are a disciple, which means that when you give your life to God, he sends you out. That's what Jesus said. And when you're sent out, you have a license. You have permission. You have, in fact, been given the ability, the authority to tell people their sins are forgiven. I do it all the time. I was with a young guy, a college guy, bright kid, and I said, you know, if you just confess your sins, God will forgive you. He said, um, no, I'm too terrible. I said, bet you're not as terrible as a lot of people I know that go to church here. No, no, God, God would never let me in. I, I just don't deserve it. None of us do. Salvation is a gift. You have to take the gift, but nobody deserves it because none of us are as we should be. We're all short of it. And nobody on the earth is as we should be, only in heaven. Until you get to heaven, you're a sinner saved by grace. And you'll keep going back. Paul said it in Romans chapter 7. Why is it the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing? Because we're little selfish twits. And we keep going back to things that make me feel good. It is all about me, right? Uh, not so much. Okay. So, I'm sending you, Jesus said, I've given you authority to tell people their sins are forgiven. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. Breathed on them? Yeah. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them. This word is only used here in the New Testament, only place in the New Testament it appears. It does appear one other place in the Old Testament. It's when God breathed into Adam the breath of life in Genesis. So God is giving them the spirit. The word is pneuma, which is the same word for wind, which is the same word for breath. God gives the disciples the breath of life. When they breathe out and say words, they have the authority to tell people your sins are forgiven. Hang on to that because the next verse can confuse you. You're listening to Pastor Ed Ray on Growing Grace. And he's describing the wonderful testimony of Thomas, who went from doubt to belief. Here he is with more. If you forgive the sins of any, literally it says, whoever sins you forgive shall have already been forgiven. Whoever sins you do not forgive have already not been forgiven. You see, it means that you can say to somebody, your sins are forgiven, and they'll know it because it's already happened because they've confessed their sins to God. Forgiven by having faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I grew up in a church that said, well, this is God giving authority to clergy to say, I'm going to forgive your sins, or I'm not going to forgive your sins. No, that's blasphemy against God. What? It is only God who can forgive sins, no person. Jesus said it several times. It happens when we surrender to him. And then as 
King David said in Psalm 51, it is against you, Lord, and you only have I sinned. Cleanse my sin. What's he saying? What about Bathsheba and what about her husband and all the people that watch you? No, it's primarily a sin against God because you need to ask him to forgive your sins. Only God can forgive sins. But this is your license to tell others that their sins will be forgiven if they'll just tell God about it. So, Mark 2.5, he says to the paralytic, there's a guy who can't walk at all, and he says, my son, your sins are forgiven. But there were some of the scribes sitting there and they reasoned in their hearts, why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's what they think. They're right. And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way, he read their minds. He said, why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to this paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your sins and walk. But that you might know that the Son of Man, that I, that the Messiah, might forgive sins, I say to him, take up your bed and walk, and the guy does. And they're blown away. That's because they didn't know he was God. Only God can forgive sins, and Jesus forgave sins right in front of them. So, but you can share with us. You can give. You have the authority to tell others your sins will be forgiven. All you have to do is confess them to God. Thomas, okay. But we got 10 that just heard all that. And the 11th is Thomas. Dudamas, which means a twin. We don't know if he was a non-identical twin. Was it a sister or was it a brother? All we know, he was one of the original 12. Was not with them when Jesus came. Why? We're not told. Maybe he's one of those guys that when he's so depressed, he goes home and pulls down the shades and, and won't talk to anybody for a week. Know anybody like that? You're like that? Huh. Welcome to the human race. So, but he's got an attitude problem. Thomas has really got a bad attitude. How do we know that? Well, in John chapter 11, the disciples are with Jesus down at the Jordan River. And a messenger comes and says, Lazarus is dying, your friend. Martha and Mary, his sister, sent me down to tell you, you need to come right away to Jerusalem. And the disciples hear all that, and the guy leaves, and Jesus doesn't leave. He's still there. Four days later, he comes and he says, to them, okay, we're going up to Jerusalem. And they're going, no, Lord, that doesn't work out. Remember last time you were there, they were going to kill you? And he said, we're going to Jerusalem. Thomas, our hero of the story, he says... This, let us also go with him that we may die. What a fun guy to be around. <laughs> we're going to go with Jesus and we're all going to be toast, but you know what? It's fate, we're going to do it. It's always good to have Eeyore in your group with you. <laughs> it happens again, John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Jesus is telling about heaven. This is an awesome story. He says, if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you in heaven. It's a mansion. You're going to love it. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know the way. Eeyore, standing right there, says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know? So Jesus said, I am the way, 
you stick with Jesus, you'll get there is what he's saying. But Eeyore is not binding anything. Okay, so Eeyore is alone and the other disciples come to him and they say, verse 25, we have seen the Lord. He's alive. But he, Thomas, says back to them, unless I see his hands in the print of the nail and I put my finger into the print of the nail and I put my hand in his side, I will not believe. That's the best Eeyore I can do. I just want you to, you know, get the feel of it. I have grandchildren, okay, so I have some practice, but, you know. So, there are people in this room that we could call you Eeyore. You have a hard time believing what you can't see with your eyes, what you can't touch. And others are the ones I described. At first, you're, you're shaken with some terrible disappointment, maybe more than one, one after another. You think the claims of Jesus are just true good to be true. Well, the truth is they are true and they are good and they're for you. So it does take faith. You have to trust. You have to believe. Well, I don't know if I can do it. Yes, you can. Just say, God, forgive my sins. Take my life. I surrender to you. And then if that doesn't change your life, I'm a liar. How can you say that with such great confidence, Pastor? Because I've been there. And I've also had the privilege of watching a lot of other people go through the same thing. After eight days, after Eeyore has spoken, his disciples are again inside. And Thomas is with them this time. All 11 are there. The doors are shut. Same deal. They were shut at the beginning. They stayed that way all the way through this story. And Jesus stood in their midst. And he says the same thing again, shalom. Hmm. It's the same day, eight days, it's Jewish timekeeping. So it's on Sunday again, they're together, and Jesus pops up. <laughs> it's unannounced. Suddenly he's there. He stands there. And he turns to Thomas. Now, Thomas at this point is probably going, oh my goodness. He says, Thomas, come here. We need to talk. But it's loving. He says, Thomas, come here. Reach your finger. Put your finger here in this hole. It must hurt, Lord. No, it doesn't hurt. Just touch it. I want you to touch it. Now, give me your hand. Put it in my side. That's where the spear went in. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Literally, it says stop doubting and be believing. You choose. It's your choice. Cut it out. Quit doubting. I'm standing here. You get your hand in my side and looking eyeball to eyeball? And you're going to try and tell me I don't exist? What's that feeling? That's the wound in your side, Lord. Yeah. Thomas answered. Now, Thomas is about ready to give the clearest identity of who Jesus is in the whole Bible. Before others had, when they were up at Caesarea Philippi, up in the north, Jesus turns to Peter. He says, Peter, who do people say that I am? Well, he says, some people say you're John the Baptist, reincarnated. Some people say you're Isaiah the prophet. He says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus commends him. That's good, Peter. You didn't come up to that conclusion by yourself. Heaven has showed it to you. But that's not as strong a statement as what Thomas is about to say. And it's important because people who are the worst doubters, when they come, become the strongest believers. I've watched it happen over and over again. So if you're a doubter, I go, golly, that's great. Keep coming, because when you come, you're going to be a ball of fire. 
God's going to use you to change the world. So he says, Thomas answered, verse 28, he says, my Lord, I'm your servant, and my God, you're the creator of the universe. And he was right. Greatest statement, confirmation of who Jesus is. Now, what about us? He says, and truly, verse 30, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. They were eyewitnesses. They watched dead people get up. They watched people covered with leprosy suddenly cleansed. They watched blind guys that have never seen in their life suddenly can see. He said, other signs in the presence of disciples, which are not written in this book. But these that are written are here that you might believe, that you might trust, that you might have faith that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and believing you may have eternal life in his name. Miracles, signs, changing water into wine. We looked at back in chapter two. Why is that a sign? It points to the greater reality that Jesus is the creator. He created the earth out of nothing. He changes water into wine. Well, water doesn't have any carbon in it, to be technical, but wine takes time. It's got vintage. Jesus did it instantly. The sign is he is the creator of time. He is the Lord over time and space. And the second miracle is the ruler's son. He's a long way away. And the ruler comes and says, my son's dying. Jesus said, go your way. He's been healed. He's a two-day ride away by a horse. They're in Cana, and the kid is down in Capernaum. Those of you that have been to Israel, you know that's a 30-mile trip. And so the guy says, he's healed? Jesus said, yeah, go your way, he's done. And on and on these miracles are to prove to us, to you and I, that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the creator. He is God himself. Well, pastor, what do I do? Accept the gift. What? Salvation, I said, is a gift. It's grace. Grace means something you don't deserve. God just gives it to you. He wants to give you eternal life. Well, how uh, do I get it? Forgive my sins, take my life. That's it. And God gives you eternal life. Grace means unmerited, unearned favor with God. You didn't earn it. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. He just gave it to me. So the story goes that a man comes to the heavenly gates and Peter is there. And the guy says, I want to come in. This is heaven, right? And Peter said, well, okay. We've got to see how many points you have. He said, points? He says, yeah. Do you ever go to church? He said, well, not really. Well, I did go one Easter. Peter says, okay. <laughs> you get one point. He said, I get one point for going to church? He said, yeah, one point. He said, well, you ever given any money to the poor? He says, well, yeah, I mean, it's for a tax deduction, but yeah, I do. Peter says, tax deduction, one point. That gives you two. The guy says, how many points do I need? And Jesus said, a thousand. And the guy said, a thousand? At that rate, the only way I'll get in is the grace of God. Peter says, come on in. Well, maybe that's exactly what you're in need of today, a relationship with Jesus. The door can swing open to you through faith in what the Lord has done for you at Calvary. Thanks for joining us for Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. 
We're going through the Gospel of John together from start to finish. For a CD copy of today's message, just call 844-77-GRACE. And that's 844-77-GRACE. Or you can listen online at thepackinghouse.org. You'll find an archive of past radio programs there too, which comes in handy should you miss a message on the radio. Go to thepackinghouse.org and look for our radio page. You know, it takes a team to bring Grow and Grace to you, and we look to our listeners to help make all of this possible. We have an exciting resource to tell you about. It's True Spirituality by Francis Schaeffer. After serving the Lord as a pastor for many years, Francis began to wonder if Christianity really made a difference in people's lives. True spirituality, you could say, is the result of his effort to re-examine his faith. And if you want to discover what true spirituality looks like in everyday life, this is the book for you. We'll send you a copy when you support Grow in Grace today with a gift of any amount. And as you give, you'll be helping many others around the country and around the world to grow in grace as well. Just give us a call, 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. This program is presented by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now build with hands, and in this place got to dwell with man. Sit be healed and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your 